The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right. That time again. Back on the Sour Hour Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Here with Scott, as always. How's it going, Scott? It's going good. I think I'm doing a little bit better than you. You uh, have been uh, regaling me with the the sob stories of your tiredness. I'm very been tired. Up, been up since like four in the morning. You're a dedicated man, Jay. Well, I, you know, I've been saying this all week. We just got to stop giving the employees vacation because then, you know, someone's got to. We have to do more work. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, yeah, got up early to do a little bottling prep today, and. Uh, it's uh, it's good that I kind of refreshed myself on that because uh, it's apropos for uh, tonight's show. We have a, a great guest tonight. It's uh, Dr. Matt Bachman, Ph.D. professor from uh, Indiana University, and uh, he just this is kind of a hot topic in sour beer because he just came out with this uh, research paper where he was work- working with uh, Upland Brewing Company. Uh, on their sour beers and how they're bottle conditioning them. And it's just great that, uh, you know, a lot of sour brewers have been talking about this paper. And it's got to be one of our quickest turnarounds for, for getting a guest that's the rare topical show for us. Uh, so a lot, of bit, a lot of people have been talking about this, and we're happy that uh, Matt could join us tonight and get into that. I thought you were just, you were just searching for PhDs named Matt and just booking them. I collect them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, all their baseball cards or their sour beer cards. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this, this Dr. Matt, his stats are off the charts. You yeah. flip that card over. Yeah. You have a Dr. Lambic rookie, don't you? It's, mm-hmm. But the, the corners are kind of dog-eared, so it's not really worth much. Yeah, but I'm bidding currently on eBay. I, I guess I shouldn't say. No, don't. But it's a... It's a graded. Do you have any idea what that is? No, I sure don't. <laughs> I grew up collecting baseball cards, so let's, oh, let's just cord here. let's just cut this off right now because okay. I could just go okay. way right. off the rails Mo- on along. the ins and outs of baseball card collecting. Gotcha. Welcome to the show. We're here to talk about sour beer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like we, like we always do. We stay on topic on this show, of course. Unlike those other BN shows, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what they're even about. I, I don't even know. Some of them may be on the iTunes charts. Oh yeah, the ratings. Or not the ratings, but the uh, yeah, like the popul- the, the real time popularity of shows. I'd never seen uh, those stats. The the uh, rankings, I should say, not ratings. Yeah, for for some reason, I was I was looking for more podcasts uh, last night. I've been driving around quite a bit and going down some of the uh, different categories. Uh, the session was like number fourteen in hey. the in the hobbies. What do you know? Category. So I skipped past that one obviously. Uh, it was uh, beaten out by a couple of birdhouse building podcasts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Some some gardening, weekly gardening sure. tips. Uh and then I I checked on ours because I knew for some reason we are not in the same category as the session. We are under we're technically a how to podcast. That's our category for the sour hour for some reason. That's how it was uploaded. So we are in the technology category, and we were on there. We were, uh, as of right now, I think we're 90th. Out of 95. Uh, 
95 total podcasts about technology. Right. Yeah, you know, that's pretty good. That's I'd not say. bad. It's, sure. it's in the complete wrong category. But, uh, yeah, watch out this week in Apple News. We're, yeah. We're coming for you. <laughs> Google today. <laughs> but it's a good place to remind you guys to, uh, if you do want to want to help us beat out this week in Apple, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. That's, that's the way you're going to get uh, the episodes right when they drop. Uh, and leave us some feedback while you're at it. We are lucky enough to have... Uh, a nice review on there, so hopefully it helps uh, other brewers find find this show. And then go ahead and just participate in tonight's show. You can call us, 888-401-BEER. Uh, Bevo is anxiously awaiting your phone call in the other room. She sure is. Yeah, she's just, she's pretty, I guess there's something going on with the microphone in there where it's not working for yeah. tonight. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, Someone was messing with the board, and your mic's up super high, and hers isn't working at all. And, oh, and she, she's shaking her boobies around. That's 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 unfortunate. Yeah. Like one hand on each one and just kind of like the, you know, that's – keep it up, B. You, I, like I, I was going to ramp this up all all show, but you just, like, went right to the end <laughs> on that one. She did. Yeah, yeah. Ask her. I'm not – yeah, I'm not even going to keep this up. Bevo's not here. <laughs> Bevo was not oh, behind man. the glass. That was me starting at a low point. Uh, yeah, then well, the then I'm glad. I, I then didn't know. Then, okay. I didn't want to know where that was going to go. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Bevo, unfortunately, not able to join us. She had a uh, a, spontane- a spontaneous beer podcast to go to or something like that. She's just so sour beer obsessed that, you know, she just wanted to make sure she, you know, the rising star. And so some other person's podcast gets Bevo tonight. Sure. Well, you know, it's new- newness. Mm-hmm. And anything new is better than whatever was. That's before. what rules the iTunes charts. Exactly. For sure. Uh, join us in the chat. No one's in the chat for us. <laughs> There's no, no, no monitor. It's all right. So don't call us or join us in the chat. Yeah. But uh, email us if you can't get your question in. Uh, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com or Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. We've got some good questions over the past few weeks, so we'll get to some of those tonight. And uh, you can also watch us live. The cameras are up and running. Yep. Uh, as always, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. And then the other way to kind of consume the show in a live manner is the Brewing Network. Oh, wait, I already did that. <laughs> wow, can, you are you are tired. Uh, this is bad. I told you I'm going to get like at least 10 of those tonight. So, sure. uh, no, the other way to listen live is the Brewing Network app. Just uh, search BN Mobile on aforementioned iTunes type stuff. Okay. That's pretty. That was a good start. It was off to a good start. You know what else is off to a good start? Is this uh, a new release? For, I, and I hope it's a good start because I hope it's the first release of many of uh, Emerald Vision, mm. new rare barrel release. And I have been um, talking Jay's ear off about how much I, it is now. My it has moved into the number one slot in my rare barrel release favorites. It is number supp- one. It has supplanted uh, a Map of the Sun. As my favorite release I had, and maybe it was, uh, you know, partially the setting. I mean, obviously the beer's incredible, but I had my first sip of it and my 877th sip of it at uh, uh, Spring Brews Festival. Brewing which, Network, Spring Brews. Yes, sir, which was a couple weekends ago. And mm-hmm. uh, Jay and Tall Alex came up and had a lot of uh, a lot more beer, I think, this year than, than previous, because you guys were pouring for pretty much the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Uh we were pouring four beers. Uh, let's see if I can remember all of them. Hypnotized, uh, Emerald, which is our uh, raspberry sour. Uh, Emerald Vision, the one we're talking about now, which is a sour beer with cucumber. Pretty fun fun oh, ingredient so to work with. Uh, we also had, what did we have? Dubious Dawn. Yeah. Apricot and tequila barrel. Yep. And Cosmic Dust, our hibiscus sour beer. So, that I mean, that's a pretty eclectic lineup and yeah people seem to be digging it it was a beautiful day which is you know a worry since the super bowl 
you know, knocked you guys off your your original path, and then you were kind of predicting a rainy day. But it, it was a beautiful day uh, in downtown Concord. It sure was, yeah. And the uh, there were you know there were some lines at you know Russian River and where you would expect to find them. But um, I think your line was the most carousel-y, where people would get, you know get up to the front, get their pour, and just go back and get right back in, in oh, line. Yeah, a lot of people. Um, we were, we were, saw turn, the we, were around. we were turning and burning. We were trying to pour you know as fast as possible. And I think you know we got we actually. Got good feedback on that. That you know, people were able to try all four and come back and get their favorite, and it wasn't you know wasn't too crazy. So that's great. Thanks to all the uh, the listeners who came out. A lot of people came up and gave compliments about the show. So that's nice. that's a good sign as well. Uh, so we appreciate uh, all the listeners who were able to attend, and uh, thanks so much for your continued support of the Rare Barrel. And that goes for you too, Scott. Oh, of course, man. It's my pleasure. So saying, can we say nice things about Emerald Vision? It's it's it rates itself. Uh can you tell me a little bit about the uh the cucumber? Like it's an interesting ingredient to work with because Yeah, sure. We walk down the street to our great local grocery store, Berkeley Bowl West, which is, you know, maybe the best grocery store in the world. It's 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 pretty incredible. Great produce, great beer wall. Picked up, I believe, something like thirty pounds of cucumbers, walked them back. I don't know if we walked them back. We drove them back. And, uh, yeah, just the, the team chopped them, sliced them, chopped them up, and uh, we threw them in our uh, Chet the Bro-Pito, which we've uh, previously mentioned on this show. Recirculated the beer through the cucumber until we liked where it was, which was pretty quick. And this beer, it just came out. There's so much melon character yeah, to it. Yeah, it tastes like watermelon. It's, a, it's almost like a, you'd almost think it was like a, cucumber or watermelon beer yep. or like honeydew or something like that yeah the cucumber it's very light and we wanted to just have a kind of a deft hand approaching that ingredient uh but i i love i have to be honest i also love this beer i think it's incredibly refreshing it's been pretty hot in the bay area lately and yep it's been a go-to for yep. sure. It's perfect for how. And so, um, forgive me because I'm sure I'm just I'm just an idiot. But it, cucumbers and watermelons aren't are they like in the same family or phylum or something? Like why are they so similar in character in a, in a finished beer like this? I or, don't know. Or is it always? Or does it just happens to be with this one? I think I think it's the cucumber marrying with the base beer that we blended specifically for this, which is kind of the fun for us when we do these draft beers. We all get together and we kind of discuss different options for what base beer we have a lot of barrels in our cellar so we can kind of do some different blends and we discuss oh you know i think this would go best with cucumber or this and then we do kind of a staff vote move forward with that and then we we are able to enhance or just kind of express flavors that you know wouldn't previously be associated with cucumber because of its interplay with the base beer so that's been that's been a lot of fun for us and another way we can be experimental and also, you know, just keep some, some new stuff on in the tasting room from time to time. And yeah, that's, this has been a lot of fun and it, it just opened up our eyes to doing a lot more stuff with sort of fresher, but maybe not the most flavor impactful fruits, you know, like, like those melon type fruits that I just mentioned, you know, we can just walk down to the store, get some, run them through our beer, tap them, serve them quickly go from there fun stuff what happens to the um the slices of cucumber that are beer logged uh after the bropedo has been does anybody try to eat one i wasn't around for when we actually had to remove those but uh, yeah i i would eat one i think i would, I would think that would be pretty good yeah it's like kind of a 
a sour beer pickle at that point. Totally. Right? Quick pickle. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Berkeley. We composted them. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, yeah, it just it really just came out just fabulous. It's just perfection. The, the balance is just uh, incredible. So if anybody gets a chance to uh, to try this or any rare barrel beer, get on it. Well, thank you, Scott. Of course. Uh, speaking of the rare barrel, a couple of rare barrel items I wanted to mention up top. These are completely self-serving, so bear with me. Uh, but just a few updates for those who... Uh, We've been following our progress. Uh, we are finally going to be open on an extra day. We're opening up on Thursdays, the tasting room in Berkeley. Look at you. You yeah, got beer to supply, huh? Big time. And that's going to be starting uh, tomorrow night. Uh, we're going to be releasing uh, the aforementioned hypnotized uh, in bottles. So if anyone's listening live, or I think we're going to release this pod pretty soon after we record. If you want to come by Thursday, it's a great, great time to come by. I'll be there. One other rare barrel thing I want to mention is that uh, we have a new job opening that uh, just got posted to our social media stuff, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for a tasting room manager. Ooh, that's a big boy job. Yeah, that's, you know, it's it's one of the most important positions in our company. Um, so I just wanted to mention it briefly uh, on the air tonight because I'm hopefully talking to a lot of people who love sour beer. So uh, if you want more information on that, just uh, cruise over to... Any of our social media stuff, uh, there's a link to the full job posting on our blog, and that'll that'll take you guys there. So that's either, like I said, facebook.com slash the rare barrel, Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 or the rare com slash blog to, to check that out. And uh, it's exciting. It's hard, it's hard to lose, lose staff, but, uh, you know, always an exciting opportunity to bring, bring new staff and, and new ideas in as well. So if you guys are interested in that. Come check it out. Work give, at the Rare Barrel. Give me an idea of who you're, uh, who who you would consider, because I'm I'm picturing people listening to this and brewers that just you know they they love brewing, they love sour beer, mm-hmm. um, but maybe they don't have any like restaurant or operations management experience. Maybe they're like working for a Department of Water and Power or something, but they really love sour beer. Would you consider somebody like that? I think we would consider people like that for different positions, uh, but I think this one is yeah. You're you're gonna want service industry experience, you're probably going to want experience managing people. Um, it's more of a, you know, a specialized job. And like I said, it's one of the kind of upper positions at our company. So, you know, if you feel like you have those qualifications, um, that's, you know, maybe this is the the fit for you, but you know, on the production side, we'll periodically post jobs as well. So if you're following us on social media or, uh, you know, cruising on Prober or something like that, Searching, searching the rare barrel, then you'll you'll find our job postings around there too. But yeah, we're always open to uh, people who love sour beer, so check it out. There you go. All right, so uh, quick couple other things at the top. Uh, I want to just mention our last episode, which uh, or episodes uh, which featured Andy Parker, the chief barrel herder from Avery Brewing Company. Uh, Andy was gracious enough to send us a whole slew of Avery's sour beers. And that was one of our more delicious shows, I, I would have to say. Great show. He's a great guy. Yeah, definitely. A lot great of good, beers, too. Yeah, a lot of great information and uh, a lot of fun stuff about just where uh, – a lot of history there because Avery has been doing this for a really long time. I think we mentioned during the show they went from – while Andy was there, they went from 3,000 uh, barrels brew to about 80,000 in his time there. Um, also, you know, they've been making sour beer for about 10 years so it was great to get that perspective, just like we have before, you know, with your Allagashes, your Russian Rivers, your Lost Abbeys, New Belgium, uh, Rodenbach, people like that who's just been making sour beer for such a long time. 
it's just great to get some perspective for not only someone like myself, who's, you know, relatively new at this, but uh, hopefully for a lot of the listeners too, who, you know, maybe sour beer is a little intimidating, but to hear, you know, someone like Andy talk about it and the trials and tribulations, but also the triumphs uh, along the way, maybe it kind of demystifies it a little bit and shows a path to to success in sour beer. I, I think it did, and I think uh, that you've noticed this too, that there's starting to be more emails that roll in from people that were not sour beer brewers. Like, hey, I had never brewed a sour beer. I'd never, maybe never even liked sour beer, never mm-hmm. thought I would be into drinking them, let alone brewing one. But after hearing your show and being inspired to do it, and now they are brewing and drinking sour beer. So guys like Andy and their their approach to explaining it or, or it, it is inspiring people. And that's awesome. I love getting emails like that. Yeah, it's been great. The, the feedback on, you know, our guests and just the show overall has been great getting people into sour beer, motivating people to take that plunge and brew that, you know, I, I'm, I feel constantly inspired by talking to these, getting to talk to these people kind of outside the show for, you know, the last few years. Um, it's just reaffirmed my love for sour beer and now to be able to share it, you know, via the pod waves, that's, that's a really rewarding experience. So we, we appreciate your continued feedback and your continued listening to uh, shows just like this. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll keep going, keep spreading the, the knowledge and the love of sour beer. Indeed. So before we do that, by talking to Dr. Matt, you want to cover, uh, it's actually not a question. It's a follow-up on uh, bottling for NHC uh, before we take a break. Sure. All right, cool. So this is, you don't even need to answer. You can just sit back and sip your coffee and listen to James McNulty, who gave a good explanation for, uh, you may recall, uh, James says uh, during the latest episode, this was a, maybe like three or four episodes ago, mm-hmm. um, he said, you guys read a question from a homebrewer regarding moving beer from 22-ounce bottles to 12-ounce bottles for the National Homebrewers Conference? Yeah, I think that was the Rare Barrel Production Team episode. episode yeah, it, it, okay. or, or the one before. For sure. Uh, he's, uh, James says, uh, I'm not sure if you still have the brewer's email or contact, but we're going to share with everybody that might be wondering. Um, this is James says the process I used to move a Belgian blonde with Brett B added to secondary from 22 ounce bottles to 12 ounce bottles for the second round of NHC. He says you will need 12 ounce bottles, bottle caps, bottle capper, bottle cleaner, sanitizer, one stainless steel funnel, eight to 12 inch piece of vinyl or silicone tubing that will fit snugly on the end of the funnel and a CO2 tank with a hose attached that can flush the 12 ounce bottles. Step one, clean and dry the number of bottles you wish to move the beer into Two, place the 22 ounce bottles of sour beer into the fridge along with the clean and dry 12 ounce bottles allow the bottles and beer to cool to fridge temp then attach the tubing to the funnel then mix a sanitizing solution he says he uses star san sanitize the funnel and tubing setup along with the bottle caps and cold 12 ounce bottles remove the 22 ounces from the fridge remove a 12 ounce bottle from the sanitizer flush it with co2 for a few seconds uh then place the sanitized funnel tubing setup into the 12 ounce bottle be sure the tubing goes all the way to the bottom uncap the 22 ounce bottle very gently at a 45 degree angle pour the beer from the 22 to the 12 once the 12 ounce bottle is properly um, flush the headspace i'm sorry it's properly full flush the headspace with co2 for about a second uh, then cap immediately and place into a fridge repeat until you have the desired number of bottles he says he would do this the night before uh, or the day you plan on shipping the beer and shipped the beer as fast as your budget will allow so you know two day it may be overnighted if you can um, he says he used this method in 2014 for the second round he took third place in specialty beer um, and he says he hopes it helps courage in all things so thanks for the uh, step-by-step, Jim, and uh, he had success with it, so maybe you will too. Yeah, that's that, there's a lot of good points in there. I, you know, 
initially I worry about too much CO2 being knocked out of a solution during the transfer. But if you don't have, you know, a counter pressure filler, that's, you know, it's a good way to, to go about it. And, you know, obviously his beers uh, made it to competition. Okay. So yeah, I think you can use that method. You got to be careful. I really like the idea of the, you want the, the vessel that it's going into to be very cold because, and also have had sanitizer in it because that's going to help you in your fight against carbon dioxide breaking out of solution because if it's going on to a wet surface, if it's going on to a cold surface, less CO2 is going to break out of solution that way. Also, you know, the fill tube going to the bottom, fill them from the bottom up, that's going to help with your any exposure to oxygen. So, yeah, I like it for a, kind of a, a MacGyver way around it. Totally. And just, uh, I mean, if you pour, like, really, like, really, really gently, mm-hmm. isn't there just, I mean, wouldn't hardly any come out of solution? I mean, it's just, you know, if there's no movement of the liquid, if you're gentle enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be hard to measure, but if it's if it's still drinkable and good enough to get, you know, the, the third place that uh, this uh, emailer is talking about, then that's great. Yeah, I mean, go for it. It's 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 better than not entering at all, you know. So you got to come up with some some in between method. I think the one I suggested was way too intricate and expensive. So this is a great uh, a great compromise. But that non question. <laughs> really just comment was brought to you by sourbeerblog.com. Dr. Matt bringing you statements our, and questions. Our OG Dr. Matt, Dr. Lambic, uh, he's got his beer reviews and sour beer articles up there. So go check it out. They've been a great sponsor of ours, sourbeerblog.com. All right. I think it's time for a break. Indeed. And then when we come back, we'll bring back our new Dr. Matt, Dr. Matt Bachman of Indiana University to talk about sour beer bottle conditioning. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, they're amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. This is Andy Parker, Chief Barrel Herder at Avery Brewing Company, and you're listening to Jay Goodwin on the Sour Hour. All right. We're back. Great show lined up tonight. Before we continue, I want to thank our great sponsor, the Wine and Hop Shop wineandhop.com. They're carrying our uh, friends at Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, Scott, you know what? What? All BN listeners, not just the ones we like, but all of them, are there, they're going to get... <laughs> I, ch- I should have tried to ad-lib during this <laughs> tired time. Yeah, of all the shows. I need a little more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> 
all BN listeners are going to get flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Did I get those numbers correct? Brilliant. Okay. I just want you double-checking me along the way. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. Boom. Nailed it. Like you're not even tired. <sighs> okay. Just needed that second. <laughs> and I'm back. If, I, if I'm just like at some point start nodding off and, you know, you just hear me start to fade out. Just, uh, yeah. just, just poke me with a stick. Yeah. Or I can uh, I can just play. Um, we make bad beer all the time. I'll just play that on a loop. <laughs> Well, that's not unusual, so that probably won't wake me up. But <laughs> that's that's a that's a great drop. I'm glad you're uh, you're working hard on that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm certainly working. Okay, speaking of working hard, let's bring in our guest, uh, Dr. Matt Bachman, who's been working hard to uh, help us understand sour beer bottle conditioning. Uh, Dr. Bachman, are you there? I am. Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Good. How are you? Doing great. So, uh, so we have you here because, you know, as, as I have alluded to, you have this, uh, fancy new research paper out that you've been working on. Uh, I'll get the name right here. Terminal acid shock inhibits sour beer bottle conditioning by Saccharomyces. Oh my God. Wow. (laughs) Damn. Rare form. Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Uh, I think it's going to be found in the food microbiology journal. How did this come about? You were you were working with uh, Upland Brewing Company. How did that whole uh, interaction come about? Who who kind of approached who to work on this project? Uh, it was one of those right place, right time kind of things. So I, I actually teach a an undergrad course on alcohol and fermentation at IU, and we were we were doing a site visit, which is what you call a field trip when you're out of grade school. Uh, at Upland's production facility, and you know we we got a tour, we got to check out the place on a brew day. And um, Adam Covey, their, their QA, QC guy, on the way out, he said, hey, you know, we'd like to pick your brain. We have a, we have a problem. And probably a week or two later, we sat down and they just sort of laid out what, what was going on with one of their sours that wasn't behaving. Gotcha. And, and what was going on and then what was the goal that you guys set out for the research? So they, um, they had brewed a beer called Cauldron, which is a, a mix of two of their sours that they age on cherries and oak barrels. Um, really delicious. And it was the second time they had brewed it and the second time in a row it had failed to bottle condition for them. So they don't, they don't force carbonate their sours. They do it the old fashioned way. Um, and you know, they, they'd bottled the whole run, which I think was six or 800 gallons and had hundreds of 750 mil bottles of flat beer (laughs) and were basically just fed up with the thing. They were, they were going to stop brewing cauldron unless we could figure out a way to, to make it bubbly. Gotcha. And were, were not all the bottles flat, or was was it the whole batch? Every single one. Two brews in a row, two years in a row. And what was their kind of method going into it? And if you could juxtapose that as kind of the stuff you were researching in your paper. Yeah, so they, um, you know, when they bottle condition, they basically just take dry yeast, uh, CBC1, which is a bottle conditioning yeast, rehydrate it in water with uh, with their priming sugar, and then circulate that through the beer and then bottle the run. And for whatever reason, that works for every other sour they make, you know, two dozen other sours, and this one was the problem child. And that's sort of where, where we came in, you know, could we figure out what, the, what was the difference between Cauldron and all of the other sours they have in their lineup. Gotcha. And, and how did you kind of set up your, your study? What, what, what were you looking for? And what do you, what did you think were the likely culprits in all this? 
Well, see, they they came to us with a nice pile of data. So they they had done some some lab analysis on all the batches that hadn't carbonated, and then a bunch of their beers that had, and were just looking for any kind of smoking gun. And nothing really stood out to them. And so we we took a look at the data and. Right away, we saw that Cauldron was uh, a lot higher in alcohol than than the others. So it was over eight percent ABV, and it was also more acidic. And so a lot of their sours are, you know, pH three and a half, and this one was was just about pH three. And it doesn't seem like a big difference, half a pH unit, but pH is a log scale, so that it's it's actually significantly different in in acidity. Um, and we figured either one or both of those was sort of the the culprit. It was just too acidic or too alcoholic or both, and that was killing the yeast. Gotcha. And then how, how did you try to attack this problem? What was the, the methodology? The, the What was the test? And then we can get into a little bit of the results. Yeah, so we, I mean, we, we took their CBC1 yeast. They gave us a sample, and we, we grew it up in our normal lab media just to just to check to make sure it wasn't you know, an, an old batch of yeast or something, and they, they were dealing with 10% viability. But the, the cells were, were perfectly viable from the manufacturer. And then we just grew it in, in uh, rich lab media uh, of different pH. So when we, when we grow stuff in the lab, it's usually neutral, pH 7. And we just stepped it down a pH unit at a time. So we grew it pH 7, pH 6, 5, 4, 3. And we noticed as the acid level increased, the, the yeast growth decreased. It never stopped, but it slowed down. Um, and then when we layered alcohol on top of that, so we hit it with you know low pH and high high ABV, um, it slowed down even further. And we got to a point where, at I think it was pH two and a half, the yeast just gave up. The funny thing was the yeast didn't die; they just went dormant. So if you rescued the yeast back out of that bottle or that media, put it in something more friendly, they would they would take off right away. So we we set out to try to adapt the yeast to the acid, um, you know, give it, give it a little taste of what it was going to hit in the cauldron to see if we could coax it into to growing. And, you know, you, I know you mentioned that uh, CBC1 was the yeast they were using. Did you guys examine kind of some other yeast either in comparisons or in comparison or maybe as a, as a control against the CBC1? Yeah, so so Upland had had tried that to begin with. Um, they they tried CBC one didn't work. They tried um, the White Lab Champagne yeast, which I think is uh, WLP seven fifteen, just because it's a little bit hardier of a strain. Uh, that didn't work. We tried both of those. We tried White Labs 001. We tried the Y yeast Lager uh, Lager strain two thousand seven ten fifty six. You know, basically anything we could get our hands on and. They all had different responses to the acid, but they all also failed to carb- carbonate cauldron. So there wasn't anything just off the shelf that was going to do this. What eventually did do this, or did you find anything that did end up uh, carbonating in such a harsh environment? We, we found that if we continued to grow the yeast at low pH, like pH 3 in, in our rich media, so it's, it's nu- nutrient-rich, we were oxygenating it, the, the cells should be pretty happy that it, as, as we gave them time and they continued to grow in that, they got used to it, and they would catch up and speed up to a strain that was growing in a neutral medium. So we figured maybe we could just use that trick of extended growth in, in a little bit of harsh conditions to adapt the yeast to do the bottle conditioning. And so we wanted to come up with a simple simple solution that Upland could do in-house, right? They didn't have to buy any special equipment. 
they didn't have to run to us every time they made this batch. And it turned out to actually be almost too simple. <laughs> um, all we did was we cut our rich medium, which, which is YPD. It's yeast extract, peptone, and dextrose. Um, but you could use wort, you know, fresh, fresh wort. Uh, we cut that 50-50 with the beer that they wanted to, to carbonate. So it had, you know, mid-range pH, it had mid-range alcohol, and all the other bioactive stuff from the cherries and the oak. And grew the yeast in that for like 36 hours, gave them time to get used to all of those stressors in their environment, put them in the bottles, and they, they carbonated like mad. Hmm. Gotcha. And just, just to be clear, a couple of follow-ups on that. You say uh, mid-range pH and mid-range uh alcohol did you guys measure what it was after cutting it 50 percent uh you know we we actually didn't so it, it went from you know half ph3 half ph7 so it was probably ph5 <laughs> just just to guess nothing was buffered or anything like that so it probably met in the middle and the alcohol then would have been halved so four percent a little over four percent gotcha and then you said uh you let that ride for about 36 hours uh what what volume was that? And then what kind of vessel did you guys have that in? Uh, we, we were just growing these guys in, in little test tubes, um, but uh, Upland was able to scale up to, you know, wh- whatever size they needed for, for hundreds of gallons. So, you know, you could do this in a, um, in a flask on a stir plate like a lot of the homebrewers are doing now. Basically, any scale you needed. We, we did tests with just 12-ounce bottles, so a, a 5 mil culture in a test tube was fine for us. So basically you were, you had your kind of, um, starter liquid, if I can describe it that way, or your, your buffer liquid. And, and that was a certain percentage. So five ML of the 12 ounce bottle was this buffer. So when Upland scaled it up, does that mean it was a similar ratio? Did they pull off, you know, a tiny portion of the beer to be packaged, condition the yeast in that, and then still go to recirculate or was it buffered, uh, kind of in total as a 100% of the batch. And then they waited the 36 hours to bottle from there. No, no, they, they just, they, they siphon off a little bit of the beer, cut it 50, 50 with uh, the rich media, get made, made basically a big yeast starter out of that and then recirculated it. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and when people are, are looking out for these kind of risk factors, uh, like lactic acid or, you know, just acidity in beer overall and alcohol, and maybe some of the other stressors we can we can touch on, but are are there certain levels that you know you would see as kind of indicators that you know following this process would be beneficial, or do you think you would recommend this kind of across the board for sour beer packaging? I mean, I I would recommend it across the board. So it, it doesn't have to be a sour beer; it could be any any extreme beer. You know, high in alcohol, high in whatever. Um, you never know what's going to perturb yeast metabolism. They're, they're sensitive creatures, right? Um, and just just that pre, pre-adaptation in what you want them to live and work in is, is usually enough to get them on your side. You, could you apply, I mean, maybe you wouldn't, there'd be no reason to employ this method for non, anything that's not sour that you were, you were bottle conditioning. Why not just do this for any yeast that you're going to use as a bottle conditioner? Well, honest, honestly, I would. So and anytime that you, you move yeast from one thing to another, whether it's from a cold temperature to a warm temperature or 
from a small volume to a large volume, there's always a, a growth lag. It, it shocks the cells, and it takes them time for them to sort of feel out the environment, get used to it, and then they'll then they'll start doubling and growing like usual. And anything you can do to pre-adapt the yeast to the conditions you want them in, it's going to cut down on that lag phase. It's going to give you faster yeast growth, healthier cells. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would recommend this across the board. And I think... You know, what we're doing is adding a few steps in between where, you know, the manufacturer, the yeast company is recommending, you know, perhaps a certain method to just uh, rehydrate the yeast cells in certain temperature water in a certain way. And then, hey, you know, they're kind of like after that, you're good to go with whatever use you're you're going for. But I guess the point is the further it is away from the intended use or, you know, you can go to these yeast labs and get the specifications of all these different yeasts and see where they perform best, what pH and temperature and alcohol ranges they perform best. The farther you are either out of those ranges or to the extremes, maybe, you know, you just have to give them a little heads up because they're coming, you know, if it's a dry yeast or, you know, I I guess uh, with the champagne yeast, even that's a liquid culture, but still it's, it's moving into kind of new territory. So I guess what you're uh, recommending, Matt, is just, kind of intermediate steps overall to kind of just introduce new situations to the yeast before they kind of hit the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, it, it adds an extra, an extra day of thought to Upland's process, you know, before they could just rehydrate yeast day of bottling and roll with it. Now they've got to do it the day before and think, okay, we're going to bottle on Friday. I need to get this stuff growing Thursday. But you know, the, the published specs are also maybe for one or two beers and, and, they might have specs on pH tolerance, but what's the acid, right? Is it just carbonic acid from CO2 bubbling through it, or are they taking into consideration lactic, acetic, malic acid? They're all going to have different effects. Gotcha. And when it comes to Upland, are they separating the sugar recirculation from this kind of yeast tempering, or is that happening ahead of time as well? Um, I, honestly, I don't know how they're doing it. I, I think they would separate it because if you did it at the same time, uh, you know, the yeast are going to metabolize some of that sugar. And so it's not all going to be turned into CO2 in the bottle. Gotcha. Uh, I think we're running up against a, a break, but before we get there, uh, I think we're going to come back and we've got some listener questions about your research paper. But uh, before we go to break, how can people find this paper or where, where can they find it? Um, so it's, I think right now it's freely available on the, the food microbiology website. Um, but that window closes in a certain number of days. It's on my personal website. Uh, you can get there through the, the IU, uh, faculty search. Um, it's on ResearchGate, So you can just Google, uh, Bachman research gate and find it. Uh, it's in a few places online. Gotcha. It's funny. Whenever I hear gate attached to anything, I immediately <laughs> think there's some sort of fiasco. Like, you know. like Stargate? Uh, oh, well. Interesting. You just beat you again. Yeah. Touche, <laughs> doctor. I agree, though. Yeah, you don't you don't want a gate uh, attached to your sour beer bottle condition. Exactly. Trust right. me, I wake up with that nightmare every night pretty much. Did you hear about Rare, rare Barrel Gate 2017? Oh, God. Oh, no. like, oh, boy. That's why I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's, uh, uh, Matt, if you're cool to hang on, we're going to come back after a quick break and get into some listener questions. Is that okay? Yeah, I'll just keep drinking. <laughs> what man. are you What are you drinking over there? Uh, I've got a homebrew from my brother-in-law, Cockadoodle Brew. It's his uh, one of his saisons. Nice. All right. Any, any wild yeast in there, or is that a boring regular beer? 
Yeah, it's a boring regular beer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna turn him to the dark side here pretty soon. <laughs> Excellent. We'll be uh, we'll be right back talking more dark side on the Sour Hour. Last year, on the first Saturday in May, 11,000 participants brewed more than 19,000 gallons of beer. It's National Homebrew Day. This year, on May 7th, fellow homebrewers around the world will join in the global celebration of the greatest hobby there is, homebrewing. The American Homebrewers Association encourages you to be a part of this epic brew day. Go to homebrewersassociation.org and click on Big Brew. National Homebrew Day. There you'll find this year's official recipes for extract and all grain brewers. If you're going to host a public event, register it as well. The AHA provides promotional materials like posters, Zymer G Magazine, and display signs. And don't forget to raise a glass at noon central time for a worldwide simultaneous toast to homebrewing. Big Brew on National Homebrew Day. Be a part of it this May 7th. Visit homebrewersassociation.org for more details. friend dr matt bachman from indiana university in bloomington indiana go hoosiers online <laughs> with us how the hoosiers doing this year uh the usual pretty good at basketball not so good at football yeah what's up with that you know gotta get some you know it's the it's big 10 country you guys need some you just need a new star quarterback out there yeah yeah and then once you have it uh jay goodwin's gonna do a podcast on his personal life Jay was, telling yeah. me, Jay was telling me before the show he, he's dying to start. Well, well are you? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, is this proprietary? Is, yeah, are you giving away my secret oh, podcast no. plans? Uh, for, uh, for moving along, uh, back to bottle conditioning. Yes, back to the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know it was a big thing. Well, I mean, you know, I got to beat beat the masses to the mm. punch. You know, if I'm uh, create my podcasting empire. Right, you are. I'll cut it out in post. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Here with uh, our new Dr. Matt, Dr. Matt Bachman from Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. <laughs> we, How are they uh, doing this year? <laughs> out, no quarterback. That's the problem. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we're talking about his uh, new research paper, uh, pithily titled, Terminal Acid Shock Inhibits Sour Beer Bottle Conditioning by Saccharomyces. God damn. <laughs> wow. By yeast. <laughs> yeah, by that yeast stuff. Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Uh, see, you know, as a sour beer brewer, I know how to say Britannomyces, not as good as uh, Jean from Cantillon, but, you know, Saccharomyces for some reason is a, it's a hard word for a sour beer brewer to say. But uh, it does a great job re-fermenting in the bottle, and that's what we're talking about tonight. And I think we have uh, a nice long list of uh, listener questions for Matt, uh, if we can cue those up and, and try and find some answers. Scott, do you have those handy? Uh, I sure do. Uh, do you have one you want to start with, or you just want to start at the top? Let's start at the top. All right, let's start with uh, Eric, who says, uh, I'd like to hear uh, Matt's thoughts on whether bottle conditioning may contribute to the oxida- uh, oxid- uh, oxidization, I don't even have a tired excuse. Learn how to talk, Jeez, speak much, of packaged beer. 
Uh, as I feel that a lot of people seem to struggle with bottle-conditioned beer rapidly turning stale after packaging. Uh, I myself have particularly noticed this in beers that have been dry-hopped as well as bottle-conditioned. Uh, is bottle-conditioning um, as a cause of oxidation a real thing that can be explained? Uh, if so, are there tricks to avoiding it? I, I wouldn't blame it on – I wouldn't blame the, the yeast and the bottle-conditioning on oxidation. I mean, they're going to – they're going to scavenge the oxygen first before they, they do anything else. So you'd think they would help to get rid of some of it. I mean, there's certainly redox chemistry that goes on within a yeast cell, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it would affect the beer as a whole. I'd, I'd worry more about just the, the head, the head space in the neck. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'll just uh, piggyback on that. I think it has a lot to do with practice, uh, your, your uh, bottling practices, and, you know, depending if you're a home brewer or a pro brewer, I think on the pro boost, pro brew scale, boy, I'm really going downhill, <laughs> pro brew scale, uh, you know, you have a lot of fancy equipment to make sure you're not getting oxygen into your beers. Uh, and that, that helps out a lot when uh, doing either forced carbonation or bottle conditioning. Um, and it's much harder at home. The thing I'll say about uh, if you're bottle conditioning and you your practices allow a little more oxygen than you would like into your bottles the other thing that's going on obviously with bottle conditioning is you're letting these bottles sit until they're carbonated so you know they're sitting they're sitting at a presumably room temp or maybe even slightly warmer temperature those are storage conditions that uh, may be conducive to letting more oxygen in your beer or to having the oxygen in your beer uh, the reactions kind of happening faster and be more de- detrimental. So in that way, if you're not force carving your beer, keeping it cold, drinking it fresh, then that's another uh, another point of risk that comes with bottle conditioning, and that's why a lot of people just choose not to altogether. Gotcha. Well, there's a final part also to uh, Eric's question. Um, uh, he says, and Jay, maybe you can uh, help with this since you're a Brett expert. He says, in what way um, does <laughs> – I always love putting you on the spot. In what way does uh, Britannomyces work to mit- mitigate oxidization? Uh, yeah, Brett, I hope. I mean, all those same – Oxidation. Sorry, I'm adding a syllable. Yeah. <laughs> Saccharomyces. <laughs> uh, all those same same things we were talking about that are can be helpful in, in bottle conditioning – you know, Brett will do all those things, but continue to survive on and do it over a longer period of time. So if you're aging something like a sour beer, that's going to be, you know, maybe you'll keep it at cellar temp for a long period of time. Brett is very pH tolerant. It can be uh, temperature tolerant over long periods of time, depending on the strain for conditioning, less for primary fermentation. Um, so it's going to survive in high alcohol or low pH, harsh environments that we were just talking about uh, in the last segment about what can be troublesome for bottle conditioning. Brett will do very well in those environments. So I think I think it will help to prevent it, which is why you see a lot of people sort of trying out this new style of beer, which is a Brett IPA. A lot of people think that's kind of smashing two hot things together uh, in, in beer, but I think there's some pra- practical implications. You make the Brett beer, you know, that takes about 30 or so days, 30 to 45 days to ferment out. And then you either bottle condition with bread or you can even force carb that bread beer, uh, dry hop it, you know, at the latest possible time. And I think the bread will help protect uh, those kind of volatile aromas that you want to keep in your beer. But I don't know, Matt, do you have anything to add to that? Well, the, I mean, the other thing is that Brett eats everything, right? So it might even consume some of the oxidized product that, uh, a servicier bottle conditioning would, would leave behind. 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. So, uh, you know, it's just it's good to have Brett in your beers, I think, especially if you're planning on doing some longer age styles. Uh, yeah, consider Brett as, as kind of a nice uh, sidekick to your Saccharomyces. All right, moving along to Dan Pixley's question. He says, uh, was the sour beer first pasteurized before adding it uh, to the yeast starter? This is the Upland sour beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it was. They, uh, at the at the time, didn't have flash pasteurization or, or any any of that capability. Um, it was it was literally so harsh that I just don't think there was anything uh, metabolically active slash alive in it. All right. Well, he, so there you go. So he says, if not, um, which it was not, uh, would he predict, uh, would you, Doc, predict that heat pasteurizing the sour beer before adding it to the yeast culture would have the same results? Um. I think as long as you pre-adapted the yeast, they would they would still be able to bottle condition. But if you, I mean, if you just heat killed all the lacto and, and everything else in there that might be alive or might just be dormant, um, it's still going to be acidic. It's still going to be full of alcohol. You're still going to have the same types of problems to overcome. Something I've always wondered about, and Matt, maybe you have a take on this, is just when you do introduce you know, kind of a new Saccharomyces to an existing mixed culture in the context of adding that new Saccharomyces as the bottle conditioning yeast, you know, how, how much is that yeast going to outcompete the existing microorganisms uh, versus, you know, how much of this, you know, new sugar you're adding is actually going to be consumed by, you know, the existing Saccharomyces or Britannomyces or lactic acid bacteria. What, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I, I always wondered, you know, would it make, is is some part of it being consumed by lactic acid bacteria and making the beer more sour, or could it, you know, create a new diastole bloom if it's a certain strain of PDO? What do you think is going on in the bottle in that circumstance? Uh, I think some of it's going to be strain dependent. So CBC one people like for bottle conditioning because it's got like a really stripped down minimal genome. It's it's super neutral in character, so it's not really adding anything flavor wise it's just you know carbon dioxide and a little bit more ethanol to it when it's bottle conditioning but you know if you if you pitched like a hefeweizen yeast you might get a little banana character out of that you know something a little clovey but you know if you if you filter before you bottle condition and then you then you recirculate in your bottle conditioning strain well there's a massive dose of the bottle conditioning strain so it's going to outcompete everything and depending on you know how much sediment you're bringing, it might just be a massive dose, even if you don't filter. And so it's just going to take over because it's it's the big dog, it's the the healthy stuff. Everything else has gone through all the all the stress of brewing. You know, it's the absence of oxygen now. It's sort of shut down, and you're bringing in a fresh player. Gotcha. And just getting back to one of you, one of the things you said at the top there uh, when you're talking about CBC one, you mentioned it had a, a minimal genome. What is the kind of layman's description of that for someone, you know, unlike you or myself who doesn't understand it? Yeah, explain it to me, please. <laughs> so, uh, you know, most most brewing strains are these weird sort of evolutionary Frankensteins. They've got um, abnormal DNA where they've got multiplication of all the genes that are necessary for sugar metabolism, right? It's, that's maybe not surprising. You put them in sugar water and they've got lots of the stuff to transport in maltose and break it down and turn it into energy and carbon dioxide and, um, and alcohol. So if you compare a, a commercially available brewing yeast to something that we use in our lab for other things, they're, they're almost different species at the DNA level. Um, and CBC one, 
just doesn't have that extra stuff. It's um, hasn't gone through all that craziness. It's not not built to to crank through a bunch of sugar necessarily or give you some uh, you know amazing aromatic or, or anything like that. It's just sort of uh, you know standard off the shelf yeast. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. All right. Anything else, Scott? Uh, yeah, there's a few more. There's a, a little bit, uh, one more on uh, pasteurization, if you guys will bear with it. This is from yeah. one of my favorite Olympic gymnasts, Sean Johnson, um, who says he wants to hear the take on pasteurization of fruited beers uh, and uh, priming ratio after that. Also, if there's like a four dummies version of a pitch rate to pH. Pitch rate to pH. Um, I actually haven't run across anything like that. You know, you always hear the, the million cells per degrees Plato type of thing. But I, the, our, our paper shows that as pH decreases, yeast growth slows. So if you want fermentation to happen in, say, five days, the lower the pH, the more yeast you're going to have to toss in there just to get the same, uh, the same bang for your buck, I guess. Although I guess the best, the best approach you're saying is to just avoid that entirely, do the proper pitch rate, but kind of ha- put the yeast in a position to succeed by using this pH uh, adaptation method, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I can't remember the beginning of the question because I'm old and confused. There's a pasteurization <laughs> of fruit and it's beers. A, a, a fruit, fruit beers. beers yeah. I guess I don't know where they're going with that one. Oh, it was uh, the take on pasteurization of fruited beers and, and priming ratio after that. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't think it would be any different than, than any other beer. Um, again, though, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional brewer. I don't have the, the facial hair or tattoos to, to fit in with the club. Um, oh, so- I hung up on him. He's uh- clearly not a beer guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Oh, was that it? Sure, <laughs> did you actually sure have <laughs> uh, Okay, let's go I, on. I'll, the yeah. one thing I'll say on yeah. that, just because I, I do have a beard and... Uh, no, yeah. no, ta- no tattoos that anyone can see. Uh, the the part about that that intrigues me is the fruit and pasteurization and then conditioning afterwards. I guess the only thing that piques my interest there is residual sugar. So, you know, if you're pasteurizing, that means something. You know, you're 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 killing off anything that might continue to ferment uh, the beer or the fruit. Sometimes it's used in beer making to have a slightly sweeter beer. Uh, so beers that don't go all the way to their terminal uh, sugar content. So if you're introducing new yeast after that, then I, I don't see any reason why those sugars shouldn't be available to the new yeast that you're introducing. But I gotcha. I gotcha. I, I'm sure if this, I mean, if this person's asking that question, I'm, I, and maybe that was too obvious of an answer because that, you know, it's got kind of a more advanced question. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you don't want to end up with a bottle bomb, right? If you, if you leave sugar in there and then yeah, add, add your, add your bottling strain and figure, okay, I'm going to give it whatever enough priming sugar for two, two volumes of carbon dioxide. And all of a sudden you've got six in there because of the, the sugar from the fruit. Um, so I, I mean, short of being able to measure the, the, the sugar from the fruit, you just have to maybe do do a little trial run and uh, add no priming sugar to one bottle, add you know what you would uh, calculate for one volume, add two volumes, and just let them sit for a couple of weeks and see what happens. <laughs> yep. I mean, certainly you just have to take that into account however you calculate your your bottle conditioning regimen. So, uh, you you know, that, that sugar will stay there even if 
the yeast or bacteria or whatever was in the beer before uh, dies because of the pasteurization. So yeah. make sure to, to keep that sugar content in mind. All right, here's one more from uh, Eric Martin. Eric says, are they reaching desired and measured carbonation on the beer before packaging the bottle-conditioned beer? And what is that level of carb? Um, so they, the Upland was shooting for, for two volumes. Um, and the actually, the, the lab stuff that we did, we exceeded that because we forgot there was already priming sugar in the beer that was flat. <laughs> so so we added more with the yeast, and we, we got a nice – we didn't get bottle bombs, but we got a nice uh, – nice foamy beer at the end so yeah they're they're hitting their target it's you know there's no detriment to to the the ph and the the adapting the yeast it's they, they behave once they're adapted gotcha and what was wait what was the top of that question again uh that was right, eric's that, question about uh, uh are they reaching the desired and measured carbonation on the beer before packaging the bottle condition oh beer? right right so so that piqued my interest your your answer on that matt so uh so you guys actually test you you ran the test through the bottles that did not carbonate uh from that batch from that problem batch that had priming sugar already in it yes gotcha gotcha and so were those bottles did, did they were they able to save a lot of those bottles and salvage them and you know bring those to market or was it kind of just oh this is for next time yeah, they they never so the, neither of the two batches that were bottled and turned out flat um, were sold. I think the the second time around, you know, when they gave tours, they would let people taste some of the flat beer because that's a great way to get rid of it. Um, and they just popped a bunch of bottles and um, I think put it into a couple of kegs and carbonated it with our method as some of their experiments to see if they could repeat it. And so you could get it at the brew pub, that kind of thing. Um, but just it was last month or the month before the third batch that they made, uh, they used our process, carbonated it, and you can you can buy a bottle of that now. Great, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, I think we're coming up to our first show, and so Matt, if you could hang on for just one more segment, maybe we can get into uh, some of the exciting your stuff you're doing with your uh, new yeast company. Is that all right? Yeah, not a problem. All right, cool. Good first show. Oh, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of good tips about you know. Sour beer bottle conditioning, which is, you know, like I said, kind of a nightmare. And all the tips we can get, you know, for sour beer brewers out there, you know, that's that's going to go a long way to just letting uh, people like me sleep well at night. So I'm, I'm excited to try a lot of these methods out uh, at the Rare Barrel. You're also excited sure. to sleep well at night. Let's face it, this particular show. Yeah. Uh, I think Jay's like, that's it. He's nodding off. Jay, hey. All right. Hey, got to end the show, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's that time. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, uh, yeah. no. End the, the show. End the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, we'll come right back. We'll do one more. Uh Jay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello. Yeah. This has uh, been the Sour Hour <laughs> on the Brewing Network. Network.